Our scripture reading today comes from Mark 1, 4 to 11. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello. It's been a fun week getting to see all of your pictures of you chalking the door this week. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then um, maybe you missed our sermon last week. Go back and listen to it, or you can check out our social media. It's been really fun to see the ways that you've done this uh, with your people and your friends and your classrooms and your family. It's a really cool thing. So um, we as a church are... Uh, uh, just in case you did miss us last week, we as a church are in a season in the church calendar called Epiphany. And Epiphany uh, just means, uh, it means to like shine through. Essentially, uh, it's seeing something familiar in a new way or maybe seeing something new in something familiar. And so for the next few weeks, uh, we are going to be looking at stories of interactions with Jesus in the Gospels uh, with the idea that we hope to see something new in the familiar, see um, something new come out of the familiar. So uh, today, alongside so many churches all over the world, we are walking through the story of the baptism of Jesus that Aaron just read to us. Uh, and it's a really good story. You know, I love a good story. This is a good one. Uh, it starts with John the Baptist. If you don't know a lot about him, uh, John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, and he is a man on a mission. Like every time we see him, that's what we see. The writer of the Gospel of Mark, he tells us a little bit about John the Baptist in those first few verses that we read. Uh, we learn that he is a man of the wilderness. Uh, we learn that uh, people keep showing up to hear him talk about the kingdom, and uh, he keeps baptizing people into a new way of living. And we also learn that he wears some very interesting clothes and eats some very interesting foods. Um, a pastor that I love uh, about a year ago, uh, a pastor I love named Chris McDaniel, he uh, talked about this story at his church, and, and as he talked about it, he was so struck by this idea of the reality that when Jesus finds John the Baptist, he finds him doing his job. And I thought it was a great sermon, um, and I do think that's interesting. But to be very honest, uh, to me, after the year that we've had, this observation has become even more interesting. Um, I found myself struck by the exact same thing a year later, uh, new eyes on an old story. The epiphany for me has been uh, this idea of John the Baptist being a man who was doing what he'd been made to do. Uh, John the Baptist, he's a preacher, he's a, a prophet, um, he, and he's a good one. 
He's wild and he's weird. Um, but from Mark, we find out that he's incredibly effective. Uh, the wild and weird part of him gives me hope that there may be hope for the wild and weird in me. Um, but he, uh, John the Baptist, he spends his days baptizing people and talking about the nearness of the kingdom of God and the coming of Jesus. And it isn't flashy. Uh, maybe when you read it and, and, and listened to Aaron talk about his camel hair clothes and his wild honey, maybe that sounded flashy, but I don't think that's how we're supposed to hear it or read it. Um, uh, you may have also caught that he ate locusts. I feel like the eating bugs takes away all of the glitter of what a camel hair suit, which I'm very curious about, uh, looks like. The story of Jesus coming to John the Baptist to be baptized by him, it shows up in three out of the four Gospels. Uh, not just Mark, Matthew and Luke also tell the story. And in all three of these stories, John is found the same way. He is found every time doing work, doing the thing that he had been made by God, assigned by God to do. And uh, every time he's baptizing people and every time he's telling them about Jesus in the kingdom, he's always doing this. He's always doing his job. And this struck me so much because I believe that there's something so valuable and so spiritual about showing up and doing work. Uh, and I'm not just talking about vocation, though that certainly is a piece of it. I, um, I was talking about this with my parents over Christmas. I had two grandparents who worked for the same company for over 60 years. That's wild, right? Two of them who worked at the same place for over 60 years. That's like mind blowing to me. I very regularly say that I was not made to work past age 45. That's my retirement year. Um, but here's the thing. My grandparents, they learned something so beautiful and something so unique about the faithfulness of God by showing up to the same place every single day for 60 years working for 60 years uh, at the same company, it isn't the only way to learn about the faithfulness of God, but it is a way. But I'm not just talking about jobs. Uh, as far as we can tell, John didn't get paid to baptize people. Um, maybe that's, I'm just reading that implication in the fact that he had to eat bugs. Um, but what we do know is that in the economy of God, John had a divine assignment. And when Jesus comes to him, he's doing it. He's practicing that divine assignment. He's serving his community, his place, his city by faithfully using the unique gifts and assignment that had been placed in and on his life. And as I thought about this, I, I thought about this idea of faithfully using our gifts for the good of the world, of, of showing up to do the things that we were made to do or showing up to the places that God has put us to do the job that we've been hired to do or, or uh, called by God to do. Um, and I thought about how this idea has gotten so vague and cloudy over the last few months. Um, COVID has not only uh, taken jobs from lots of people, it's also changed so many of them. My job is uh, really different than it was a year ago. Um, some of you, you used to show up in an office full of people that you could love on and listen to and serve. Maybe your actual work hasn't changed, um, but all of the extra stuff around it is very different. Some of you, uh, many of you at our church, you used to show up in a, a classroom full of kids and you could hug them and teach them and lean into their lives uh, in a way that you knew how to do. And that has shifted 
this year. Again, it's not just work. We used to go to the grocery store and want people to talk to us, or um, we used to have people in our homes, or we would go to restaurants or bars and just talk about life with people. I, I think some of the sadness of the last few months is a direct result of forgetting how to do the things that we've been made to do. Or maybe it's uh, in our uh, lacking the creativity to find new ways to do the things that we've been made to do. One of the things that is so interesting to me about John the Baptist um, is that what he was doing uh, required him to make some sacrifices. It required creativity. It required grit. Um, if you look into his history and into his uh, lineage, John the Baptist comes from a priestly lineage. So that means his mom was the daughter of a priest in the lineage of Aaron. And then his father was a, was a priest and he was in the order of Abijah. And so that, what that means is that um, his father, Zechariah, was a priest of priests, a high and respected priest. And so it would have been assumed that John would just would, would do the same thing, that he would be a priest as well, a very specific and honored kind of priest. And while we can absolutely argue that John the Baptist is a priest, uh, baptizing and preaching about the kingdom are the most priestly things, um, I think it's worth noting that he had to find a creative way to do what he had been decide, assigned to do um, by God. Uh, he became a priest of the wilderness instead of a priest of the, the temple, the way everyone in his life would have expected him to. And I just feel like maybe there's something there for us as well. Uh, first, an encouragement uh, to find what God has made you to do. Uh, as a follower of Jesus, it isn't if God has called you to do something, it's what he's called you to do. Again, this isn't necessarily vocational. It's not necessarily something that you'll get paid to do. It's something way higher than vocation. It's a divine assignment. And if you are a Jesus follower, you absolutely have one. Something that you've been gifted, something that uh, purpose that has been put and spoken into your life. And second, I think that we can see this as an encouragement um, toward finding a new and creative way to do what God's asked us to do, to find uh, new ways to join him in renewing the whole world. As Jesus followers, we aren't just supposed to wait around until we can be face-to-face -face with people to do the work of the kingdom. Uh, we can still be neighbors and still be friends and still be husbands and wives and aunts and uncles and community members in the middle of a pandemic. We can absolutely fulfill our purposes six feet apart or on the phone <laughs> instead of in person or, or in a new and creative way. While the ways we do it may be changed, being created on purpose for purpose hasn't changed. I believe that the Holy Spirit can empower us to do uh, what we are made to do even now. There are creative ways to be a good neighbor now. There are creative ways to find joy in relationships and ways to um, engage with others and be with others now. Uh, it just takes time sometimes or imagination or maybe some grit to figure it out. Okay, back to the story. Um, we have John, and he's doing his work. And he's baptizing people, and he's telling them about the nearness of the kingdom, about Jesus, who will baptize them uh, with the Spirit. And then one day, Jesus walks up. And what we read last week happens in a single moment for John. In this moment that Aaron just read to us, for John the Baptist, the word quite literally becomes flesh. 
And then Mark tells us that they get in the water. It's a breathtaking picture, two men in the Jordan River. And the word that for all of his life John had held on his tongue becomes the flesh that he now holds in his hands. And he dips Jesus into the water and he raises him back up. Uh, as he has done so many times for so many people, but there is an epiphany in the familiar with John because as Jesus's head and body uh, broke through the water, Mark tells us that the skies above broke open and that the Holy Spirit uh, that John the Baptist had been saying um, would, uh, the Messiah would baptize people and the Holy Spirit descends on the water like a dove. Read for that with kindness and power. And then a sound from heaven, the voice of God, my son, dearly loved, you bring me great joy. N.T. Wright says that the whole gospel could be summed up like this. When the living God looks at us, you and me, when the living God looks at us, he says the same thing to us that he said to Jesus in this moment. You are mine, dearly loved you bring me great joy. My son, my daughter, dearly loved, who brings me great joy. This is the summation of the gospel, the radical acceptance of God into the most true kingdom, but not just acceptance, even more. Sonship, daughtership, love, joy, love for us and joy from us. It's wild. We talk a lot around here about the single and relentless stance of God that he has for us. How the most true thing is not God's great disappointment in us, but his rescuing work to make a way for us where there was no way to make us his own and for joy and delight and love and hope for us. Almost every single week, I quote Brennan Manning, God is not moody or capricious. He knows no season of change. His stance toward us is single and it is relentless. He loves us. Have you ever wondered why I quote it every week? Um, it's because I'm not sure you believe it. And also, it's because I'm not sure I believe it. The God who looks at Jesus says, mine Dearly loved, the object of my joy. That makes so much sense to me. God speaking to Jesus in the water. Jesus is wonderful. Of, of course he's the object of joy. Of course he's dearly loved. But the God who looks at me and says, mine, dearly loved, the object of my joy. That feels insane because I am often quite not wonderful. Terrible even at times. But this is grace, the unmerited favor of God, the unearned acceptance and delight of God. A favorite writer of mine, Robert Capon, calls uh, the outrageous grace of God offensive, offensive grace, because it, 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 to see grace in its truest place makes us very uncomfortable. Uh, but to truly see it means that we are not the exception to it, but that we can be enveloped by it. And as I thought about this, I felt um, what I only know to call the conviction of the Holy Spirit um, in my heart and in my mind. And this is, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying this. My discomfort with God's outrageous stance of love and accepted towards me is 
my resistance to good news. My discomfort uh, is with God's outrageous stance of love and acceptance toward me is my resistance to good news. There's no other way to say it. It runs counter to the message of Jesus and it makes me less human and it makes me less free. I want to say it again. Our discomfort with God's outrageous stance of love and acceptance toward us is resistance to the good news. Counter to the message of Jesus, it makes us less human and it makes us less free. The good news of the kingdom of God can be summed up like this. Through Christ, when God looks at you, he says the same thing he told Jesus. My boy or my girl, you are dearly loved the object of my joy.